Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast where we give you just the gist of what you need to know about a given topic, just a bit of information to help you bluff your way through a dinner party should the need arise. I'm Jacob Stanley and with me is the fabulous Rosie Waterland. Hello. Live from the bunker. Live from each of our bedroom bunkers. And I'm going to cut to (laughs) breaking news, breaking news, x-ray, x-ray, read all about it. I got the scoop, see? And this week, the scoop is I'm making Jacob do adjust the gist. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's part my laziness and part I figured you're stuck at home with nothing else to do. So why don't you see how hard it is to condense all the information about something down into just the gist and you'll realize that I actually put a lot of work into these things and so I chucked it your way. (laughs) You do make it look effortless. Look, um, it would take the apocalypse for me to take a risk like this, Um, but I figure (laughs) what could possibly (laughs) go so dreadfully wrong in this sort of climate? If you are going to give us just the gist, if you are going to break something down so we learn just enough to bluff our way through a dinner party, Jacob William Stanley, Mm. what topic would you choose? (laughs) I think you'll know exactly where the inspiration for this came from when I tell you that this week I would like to present to you Shoes, Glorious Shoes, the Imelda (gasps) Marcos story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. Oh, my God, yes. Okay, I literally do not know that much about her. I know a little bit of, like, what I've seen in random documentaries and stuff, but Mm -hmm. that's it. So I'm ready for you to take me on this ride. Take my hand and lead me down the glorious path, my friend. Oh, there's a lot of glory. There's a lot of sights to see and things to behold. Um, Tell me, what are the main headlines that come to mind when you think of Imelda Marcos? She is the lady who was the wife of the guy. Yes. (laughs) And they they got in trouble for being corrupt. Mm Mm-hmm. So they were the king and queen. Not a lot of trouble, but yeah. President, no, king and queen, president and presidentess. (laughs) First lady, yes. Of president and first lady of Malaysia. The Philippines. The Philippines. And they were very corrupt. And as the country went further and further into poverty and the kind of gap between um, the poor and the rich widened and widened and widened, they kind of just kept adding to their personal wealth. And he would go off and have lots Mm. of affairs and she would just spend all the money on shoes and art. And she became known for having There's like 10,000 pairs of shoes. Shoes, yes. Most people, when they think of Melda Marcos, they immediately think thousands of shoes, yes. Yes, and I also um, know the footage of her like walking around the poor slum areas just handing the little um, hood rat kids $100 bills each to make them love her. Yes. So she just, yes, yes, footage like that. She still likes to think of herself as being a very, very benevolent leader. Um, oh, she's still and alive. interesting that you, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought she cocked um, it. And she, oh, there's so much to tell you about. This is the thing. This is oh. a story that made it really hard for myself. This really sort of spans from the 50s all the way through till. 2019. Um, So this is quite the saga. This might take us quite some time. And I love the fact that you immediately thought that they were king and queen because they (laughs) definitely acted like they were royalty as opposed to elected officials in their country. Right. Um, And yes, most people think of the glamour and they make jokes about the fact that she reportedly had 3,000 shoes that she left behind when she fled the Philippines. But 
the shoe thing really is a bit of a distraction because what she and her husband did was pretty monumental. She was the first lady of the Philippines for 21 years and yeah. together with her husband, Ferdinand, they hold the Guinness World Record for the greatest robbery of a government of all time. <gasps> they swindled something between 5 and $10 billion US dollars worth of money over the course of their 21-year reign. Um very little of which they've been able to get back and they can't From ascertain what, the exact amount that they embezzled. Well, we'll get into talking about how they went about stealing okay. all of that money, but effectively they were just sort of using um, the country's bank account as their own personal bank so, account. So say like when we all pay taxes and that goes into, you know, Australia's budget, that'd be like ScoMo mm-hmm. just getting a, getting a key card linking it up to that budget account and just Rosie's mm-hmm. not very much tax goes in because I don't make that much money. And then he'd be like, I'll use that to buy something. Whatever I want. So a basically handbag, using please. taxes like a personal bank account. Correct. That's right. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. I'm and on board. I got this. In the later years, as we'll get to talking about, they just seize control of the electricity companies and the <gasps> construction companies. And yeah. So we'll chat about all of that. Um, all right. She Hit has it. been charged and found guilty with multiple counts of corruption, but she's been acquitted of even more crimes than she's actually been found guilty mm-hmm. of. And she definitely did do a lot of damage to the country over the course of several decades. She's now 90 years old and she and her family do sort of continue to do damage to the Philippines and it's likely that there's a little bit more to come as we'll see unfold in the near future. So... Imelda Marcos, they called her mm. the Iron Butterfly. She was born Ooh, in 1929. Great nickname. And she was, <laughs> it's good, right? Um, she was one of 11 children and um, her family were pretty well respected in the area where she grew up and they were fairly wealthy when she was born. But as she got older, the family's financial position started to sort of decline through her childhood. Despite that, she says that everything was really happy for her and for her siblings until her mother passed away when she was about eight years old, which was when her Mm -hmm. father then moved them from Manila, the capital, to Leyte, where she's sort of revered as a goddess to this day. She grew up, she went to university, she studied education, and then she actually got a scholarship in music, which is where she seems to have um, developed the idea that she had a really phenomenal singing voice, which we'll hear more about later. (laughs) Um, And she got into politics while she was at uni as well. She ran for student council and was successful in winning president there for one of the different chapters. Mm -hmm. But mostly she's remembered for being exceptionally beautiful at that time. She had really, really fine features and, yes, stunning cheekbones and just the most amazing porcelain skin. And she was also a lot taller than the average Filipino. She's about five foot seven. Um, So she developed this sort of moderate level of fame as the Rose of Tacloban. And the obvious thing for her to do was, of course, to enter into beauty pageants. Mm -hmm. So then in 1953, she sort of became semi-famous because she won the Miss Manila beauty pageant, which was actually a little bit controversial because someone else won as well. And there was a bit of a dispute over who's Mm. the real winner. And, oh, no, there's actually two winners. Oh, I love me a bit of beauty pageant uh, conspiracy drama. Yeah, it seems like there were were some folks on the panel who really wanted her to win, even though someone else got more points than her. So they just decided we'll just have two winners and they put them both into the um, competition for Miss Philippines, which Mm. she did not win, but the scandal was just enough to make her famous enough um, that she was recognisable to this guy called Ferdinand Marcos. And in 1954, she was um, visiting one of her cousins who was the Speaker of the House at Congress. Mm. Um, And when she was there visiting this cousin, Ferdinand spotted her. He recognised her. 
he made a beeline for her and asked someone to introduce him to her. And within the first 20 minutes of having a conversation with her, he proposed marriage to her because (laughs) she was just so beautiful and so charismatic. Um, And P.S. He already had a common law wife at this time who he just decided (laughs) he was going to give up on and quietly dump and move on. So he proposed marriage within the first 20 minutes, but she decided that she was going to play hard to get for two weeks almost. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I respect that. She told him she was going away for the Easter holidays. Um, and so he offered to drive her to where it was that she was going. Mm-hmm. Um, she accepted the lift and he and a friend drove her to her family's home. He and the friend booked a hotel room and just decided to stay there as long as Imelda was going to be staying there. Every single day, <laughs> Ferdinand showered Imelda with flowers and gifts and declarations of love and took her on dates and every day he would keep asking her again and again to marry him until finally 11 days later she said yes all right fine I will marry you and so they were married in secret on the 17th of April but they didn't tell any of their families because he hadn't done the proper thing and asked for permission Um, he finally went ahead and did that and then they did the big official big Catholic production wedding on the Mm -hmm. 1st of May that year. And how old was she then? Uh, So she was born in 29 and they were married in 54. So that would make her 25. And he was about 36. Yeah. Similar age difference to you and your boy. (laughs) Similar. Yeah. Take a swig of that beer, love. It's tough work hosting, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I may you're never doing, offer to you're do You're doing this great, again. sweetie. You're doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. All right. So pretty much Im- immediately, Imelda starts taking on a pretty major role doing the heavy lifting um, with helping Ferdinand to build his career as a politician. She was doing lots and lots of campaigning visiting people's homes, having people visit her home. A lot of the time when she was campaigning, it seemed to involve her singing and you really do need to look (laughs) up some video footage of her singing just to see how deluded she was in thinking that she had this really amazing voice. But because she was meeting people all day, every day, and she just wasn't used to this hectic lifestyle, she reached the point of burnout. And she had a nervous breakdown. She was sent to New York City to be put into a psychiatric hospital for a little while. She was evaluated and the psychiatrist told her there's nothing wrong with her. Um, It's that she just could not handle the life of being involved in politics. And so Ferdinand said, well, that's it. It's over. I'm going to quit. But... Imelda knew that he had these huge aspirations to become the president of the Philippines and Mm. she couldn't allow him to quit. So she just shifted her mindset and she started to convince herself that she could find a way to really enjoy being involved in politics rather than having Mm. to endure being in politics. And so she decided to look for those perks that were going to help to get her (laughs) through the day. And she decided that she was going to find a way to just lean into being a politician's wife and make the best for Imelda that she could possibly make it. So she got nice and comfy from that point onwards. I kind of love her so far. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just you wait. (laughs) We are barely even warming up here. All right. So she did a lot to help Ferdinand win the 1965 election. So that Mm -hmm. year he became the 10th president of the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And from that point onwards, that really is when Imelda started to step into the global spotlight. Now, this is sort of at the height of communism. And um, as communism was spreading throughout Asia, Ferdinand became really, really paranoid that there was going to be a coup in the Philippines. Um, He just constantly felt like communism was sort of breathing down his neck. And so he was really reluctant to leave the palace where they lived. And at the same time, he was, as you mentioned earlier, a massive philanderer. He had loads and loads of affairs. He's actually reputed to have 17 illegitimate children. (laughs) And it was really convenient for him that if he was at the palace and Melda was out traveling around the world on all these different diplomatic missions, then it made it easy for him to have all these affairs, which he was really keen on. So he was 
constantly sending Imelda out to visit all these different countries, almost yeah. as like a vice president in a way. Mm. He could stay home. He was safe in his palace um, and he could have as many women come and go as he wanted to. While Imelda went and travelled around and met with many, many, many and world all leaders, a lot did of all the actual were work. dictators. Yeah, correct. Right. Yes. Oh, and met with all the dictators. Oh, like who? You can imagine the sort of intel that she was sharing with people like Saddam Hussein, Colonel Gaddafi, Fidel Castro. <gasps> can I Chairman ask Mao. here, was she an intelligent woman or was she the kind of woman who would just be like, yo, Gaddafi, I was talking to Osama the other day and he said blah, blah, blah. Like, or was she intelligent and diplomatic and understood what to and what to not say around people as as an international diplomat, which is essentially what she is at this point. Yes. So the reason that they called her the Iron Butterfly was because she was so beautiful and seemed so delicate that she had mm. this really, really strong iron will. She says that she never went out on any diplomatic mission and came back without what she sought to get. So she would set up all sorts of different trade agreements. So she says, um, Mm -hmm. and thanks to her in particular, the biggest win that she got was that she opened up trade lines between the Philippines and Russia. Okay. She did not go into any of these meetings with any preconceived notions of anybody. So she said she would not read books or articles about anyone that she was reading because she trusted her gut instincts more than she trusted information that she could read from someone else. I suppose that makes it easier to get along with people who've murdered thousands and thousands of their people. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And she said that a lot of these people were just misunderstood. Right. So she just chose to see the very best in them and she chose to make sure that all she really was focusing on was getting what she wanted for her, for her husband and for her country. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you knew nothing about Hitler, like literally nothing, and you just met him in a bar, you'd be like, that's a guy who knows a lot about art and has a weird moustache. Mm-hmm. What, like, what would you know? You wouldn't know. Yeah, who probably had some charisma that he could whip out. So not finding out anything about them is also kind of morally ambiguous. Well, not even ambiguous. It's morally a bit shit because that just makes it easier for her to act like she's not communicating with evil people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, okay. So she's she's cunning. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big time. Um, she was described, and I really think this is perfect. A beautiful woman whose beguiling smiles could charm the scowls off the world's most cantankerous leaders. <laughs> I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> I just want the word cantankerous. cantankerous. You can just leave it at he was cantankerous. <laughs> So she was getting exactly what she wanted from all these different world leaders and she got exactly what she wanted from Ferdinand as well. She kind of ruled him with an iron fist. So did she mind that he was having all these affairs or was she just like, that's what I have to put up with for this life? She, I think, sort of understood that it was just going to be a a fact of life, but she was incredibly humiliated when um, one of his affairs became very, very public. So he had brought this movie actress out from Nashville called Dovey Beams to Manila and she stayed there as his sort of living mistress. Dovey Beams. (laughs) D-O-V-I-E-B-E-A-M-S. Dovey Beams. So she was brought out from the US so that she could star in a propaganda film that was all about Ferdinand's totally fictitious war exploits that happened supposedly in the jungle when he was fighting off the Japanese in World War II. Mm. He started an affair with her. It lasted about two years. He broke up with her. She then um, released some of the tapes that she had that she'd secretly recorded of them having sex um, (gasps) while Imelda would be off on these diplomatic missions. And along with the tape, she released all of these love letters that went out to the media. Oh, no. 
when they were released, um, these student protesters who weren't happy with the government at the University of the Philippines commandeered the campus radio station and broadcast a looped tape of <gasps> this sexual oh, encounter God, that the president oh, was having with this American woman. And then soon the entire nation was listening, totally astounded, <gasps> to the president begging Dovey Beams to perform oral sex on him again <laughs> and again. Dovey! And for over a week, the president's horse injunctions boomed out over the university loudspeakers. <laughs> so it became incredibly <laughs> embarrassing, embarrassing for Imelda and for the entire family. And so she sort of lauded that over Ferdinand for mm. the rest of their marriage. And she was constantly threatening to go and play those tapes again anytime she didn't get exactly what she wanted from him. I just, I don't understand so many powerful men who just cannot keep it in their pants. Like, I just don't get it. I think for them it just makes it so much easier to not have to try to keep it in their pants. Firstly, they've got people falling at their feet and they just know how much they can get away with. But also how much if they get, well, I was going to say if they get caught, they can't get away with Because, yeah, most of them do get away with it, to be honest. But it's like, why? I... Oh, it's a longer conversation, but mm. God, I'm glad I don't have a penis. Hey, just quick um, sidebar. Where are we at with Harvey yeah. Weinstein? Weinstein. Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's in. He got charged. He got like 25 years in prison. And oh, okay, so he's in prison now. Yeah, he went. He got sent to Rikers Island, and the last I heard, he had corona. <laughs> oh no, shit! So, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he got a long, yeah, about 25 years a few weeks ago. Wow. So, hooray. Is he pleading illness? Yeah, he tried. Like the day he got charged, he had heart problems and needed to go to hospital again, which he'd already pulled a couple of times. He, when he got corona, they tried to pull like, well, can he go stay at home on home arrest while he's got corona? Mm. And they were like, no, because um, they are trying to clear out prisons in the US just of people who don't need to be there because mm. otherwise the virus is just going to go rampant. So, like, they're sending home, like, just smaller drug offences and people like that. But they were like, no, you're in prison for 25 years for raping and assaulting women, so you're staying where you are. So, yeah, that's the last I heard mm-hmm. of um, our favourite sex offender who finally, it's like someone finally got busted. Who deserves it? Good. All right. So back yeah. to the Marcuses. Back to shoes, glorious shoes. Yes. So um, she became sort of very well known for how well-traveled she was. She traveled a lot, but she wasn't necessarily invited a lot of the time. Um, so she just sort of developed this reputation as being a serial gate crasher. She'd just show up at places unannounced and expect to be yeah. received. Um, so I think with a lot of these world leaders, she probably was just sort of inviting herself to show up and then making it look like she'd yeah. been invited for some sort of important diplomatic mission. She was constantly showing up to the US in particular unannounced and she'd just always expect that the red carpet would be rolled out for her when she showed up. Um, She invited herself to two presidential inaugurations and Henry Kissinger said that she'd turned into more of a pest than a guest. (laughs) I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) She um, gatecrashed the dedication ceremony for the Sydney Opera House um, and she was basically trying to upstage Queen Elizabeth because she'd come out for that event. <laughs> and then <laughs> Melda Marcos was the only other foreign dignitary who decided that they were going to come <laughs> along to that and she wasn't actually invited. Um, oh, my God, I love her. And meanwhile, her ego was really starting to get out of control as well and she would get really, really petulant if she wasn't treated exactly the way that she expected to be treated, which was like royalty. And how long has it been now? How long have her and Ferdy been president and first lady. So we're sort of jumping around here. We're kind of in the midpoint. Actually, this next story that I'm about to tell you is fairly early on in his presidency when the Beatles came to perform in Manila. (gasps) 
So she just went ahead and announced to the media that the Beatles were going to be attending a very private exclusive party at her palace. Um, but the Beatles didn't actually know anything about this and they always chose to stay well away from any sort of state affairs. So, of course, they yeah. declined when they found out, oh, by the way, the president and his wife are expecting you at a party at their <laughs> palace. Um, so they declined. And then Imelda made such a huge fuss on TV about being rejected and she was shoving these crying children in front of the cameras and saying that the Beatles had let her down and had let the Philippines down. And so then there were basically riots of people protesting the Beatles in the streets and they made it nearly impossible for the band to board the plane and actually leave the country with their equipment. (gasps) So when they arrived, they had like a military guard to get them from the airport. When they were leaving, they were just left to their own devices because all government support for the visit was just totally pulled because they had offended Imelda so badly by not actually showing up to the party that she was having in their honour at her home. So they didn't do it in the end? No, they didn't go. No, did not go to the party. I was going to say, is it like that... That episode of The Simpsons where um, Tom Jones is chained up to the stage <laughs> to perform at that private date for, <laughs> for Homer and Mark. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. I keep going. And then another time she just spontaneously visited the White House and they didn't even realise that she was in the country and she was furious that she had to wait at the gate when she arrived. <laughs> but the... <laughs> First Lady Betty Ford very graciously agreed to have tea with her. But Mm. then Imelda became even more furious when the president himself, Gerald Ford, didn't come out and say hello to her. And then they exchanged (laughs) gifts and Imelda was so disappointed with the gift that she'd been given by Betty and Gerald that she just left it behind and just left the White House (laughs) sputtering with rage (laughs) over the fact that the visit had not gone the way that she'd wanted it to. Oh, my God, do you know what the gift was? It can't have been good if they didn't know she was coming. Of course not. It would have just been something <laughs> that they went and found in the emergency cupboard of a, gifts to give to foreign dignitaries who just show up for ring. tea. <laughs> <laughs> a snow globe or something. Anyway, so she became quite famous around the globe as one of the most glamorous women in the world and she was always immaculately dressed and everything was Mm. very sort of ostentatious. But she really tried to hide that from the Philippine people, how much she was spending. And there was an incident where Cosmopolitan magazine ran an article on the 10 richest women in the world and obviously Imelda was one of them, but the Marcuses didn't want the people in the Philippines to know how wealthy they were. So they actually got their friends and family to go out and buy every single copy of Cosmopolitan. (laughs) They didn't want to pull the issue because they didn't want any media attention over the fact that they were scared of this story getting out. So they just discreetly sent people out to go and buy every single copy so that it would subtly kill that story and make sure that people didn't realise just how rich they'd become. But around the world, Imelda was just becoming more and more famous for the sort of uh, flamboyant lifestyle that she was living in the way that she was spending. She always saw her appearance as being something that benefited her people, especially the poor people. Um, And she's quoted as saying, this is so magical, the poor always look for a star in the dark of night. And she believed that she was that star in the dark of night who was going to give them hope and optimism through the way that she dressed and through the beauty she surrounded herself with. Hello, boo-boo. Boo. Boo-boo, you're not welcome. Hold on. <laughs> Keep this in. I've got to get rid of the cat. Hold on. Boo, how dare you? I'm working. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, I'm back. He's gone. So. He's on a diet, so he's very antsy. Oh, lockdown diet. He's getting too fat. He, he waddles from side to side when he walks, <laughs> so it's time. <laughs> A pet. Um, keep okay. going. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about just how extreme Imelda's extravagance mm. and spending became. You're doing great, sweetie. You're doing Thanks, great. Huh? 
So the word email diffic became part of the lexicon around this time and it meant opulent, ostentatious, lavish, flamboyant, excessive. And describing something email as diffic. email diffic also sort of meant that it was a bit tacky because, yes, she had a lot of money, but she wasn't necessarily spending it in the most tasteful of ways. So yes. here are some of the outlandish email diffic things that she is famous for in no particular order. This one I love. I can't even fathom how she managed to do this, but she spent $2,000 on chewing gum at San Francisco airport when she was there for a quick stopover. That one barely even (laughs) makes sense to me. In the space of a couple of years, she bought more than 175 artworks from artists like Picasso and Manet and Botticelli. She bought a $3.5 million Michelangelo painting on a whim one time when she happened to be visiting Rome. Um, she bought huge amounts of jewelry, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of jewelry, including one pink diamond worth five mil. And all of this is Philippine taxpayer money, yes. basically, and that they're just spending. Wait till we get to the explanation of where she okay. says we got this money from. Okay. <laughs> one time she got in touch with Sotheby's and they were going to be having an auction of some art worth about $5 million. And she said, I just want all of it. Cancel the auction. I'm going to take it all. <laughs> and so oh, they I'm did. Obsessed with they her. just canceled the auction and all of it was then hers. Um, she was once on one of her regular shopping sprees in Europe. And just after the plane had taken off from Rome, she made it turn around mm. and land again because she realized she'd forgotten to buy cheese before she left. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Jacob, you're not you're not turning me off her <laughs> so far. <laughs> I gotta say, if I had money, <laughs> I might be exactly the same. Yeah, we're seeing <laughs> from what I've the heard. Shiny side. <laughs> of this first. We're going to see the really dark, greedy side in a moment. All right. But um, while we're still on the shiny side, when her daughter got married, she spent $10.3 million to renovate an entire town, just refacing the facades that were visible of the houses from the streets to make it look like um, 17th century Spanish town. (laughs) And she had a real thing for property. Sometimes she'd get tired of shopping for jewellery and clothing. And so she'd start buying or building massive structures. They called it her edifice yeah. complex. She built many really huge <laughs> structures in the Philippines. And she also bought heaps of property all over the world, including some of the skyscrapers in New York City, um, <gasps> some of which are quite famous, like the Woolworths building and the Crown building. Um, and there was a moment Stop. when she was offered the chance to purchase the Empire State Building, but she turned it down because it was too ostentatious, too (laughs) MLDFIC, even for her. (laughs) Too (laughs) MLDFIC. And in New York City, where she spent a lot of time as well, because she loved to be surrounded by famous people like Andy Warhol, Mm. she had a few apartments there that she only kept for the parties that she would host while she herself would choose to stay at the Waldorf Astoria, um, where they had some Mm. special bed linen just for her that was covered in different colours of pearls. (laughs) But this is the best bit. This is the most outlandish, emeldific thing that she ever did. She created an African safari park on one of the, there's more than seven and a half thousand islands in the Philippines. And she set one up as this little piece of Africa because she'd gone to visit a few of the countries in Africa and she just fell in love with the wildlife. And she knew that the final piece that was missing from the Philippines that would make it a true paradise on earth would be to get all these stunning animals over there. So she and Ferdinand bribed the president of Kenya to bend the rules against wildlife exports. (laughs) And they bought this menagerie of dozens and dozens of giraffes and zebras and monkeys and antelopes. So she made she made a Joe Exotic zoo in the Philippines. Kinda. <laughs> and when she did it, she uprooted more than 250 families who she just forced to relocate <gasps> off this island because yes, it was an inhabited island and there were villages there and she just forced them to move off the island <laughs> because she wanted to be able to have safari tours in her own backyard. <gasps> no. 
nuts, right? Joe Exotic would do that if he could. That's a very Joe Exotic move. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm feeling. I feel like Joe Exotic <laughs> probably looked after the animals better than these animals have been looked after. So this is the real tragedy. Really, with this. not towards the end. Have you read all the news that's come out about Joe Exotic in yeah, the last you're right. couple of weeks? Yeah. Sounds like he was a monster. But anyway, tell me what she well, did. Basically, once she lost interest in this game park, um, they stopped funding it. And so these animals have just been left to their own devices. And so for the last few generations, they've been inbreeding because, of course, they've only got a small gene pool to sample from. So they're ending oh, so up So they're with, all just effing each yeah, other. Yeah, all sorts of genetic issues that they're having. Um, plus some of their basic veterinary requirements aren't being met. So a lot of them have this ghastly thing called screw worm where these maggots sort of screw their way into the animal's flesh and it's really really heartbreaking to see these animals and not having a wonderful life well the locals that were kicked off the island have actually returned there and they're finding it really difficult to live alongside this wildlife that you know just comes in and tramples their gardens and their crops and does damage to their fences and stuff so yeah it's sort of created this real calamity there and they don't know what the solution should be should they remove the animals they probably shouldn't be returned to the wild because you know you don't really want that genetic yeah component being mess. added yeah, yeah creating a mess in africa um do they put the animals down do they just let them keep living there. Um, so it's one of those things that still hasn't actually been solved. So to this day, there is an island in the Philippines with a bunch of families and a bunch of African animals. Fly blown giraffe. Yes, it's called Kaluit. Oh my god! And you can go there and visit it. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay. All right. So wow. Yeah. Two things that have come up. How were they able to get away with all of this excessive spending and how did they explain this incredible wealth? I'm going to answer them both separately. And first off, I'll answer how they managed to get away with all of this. Yeah. So in 1972, Ferdinand Marcos announced martial law for the Philippines and that's when he effectively became a dictator. So at this stage, he had been the president for seven years. Um, He claimed that he'd done this in response to the threat of communism, but ostensibly it really was because that the public were becoming less and less satisfied with the Marcoses as their leaders. Um, His um, philandering started to become more widely publicised. The Dovey Beam story had spread Mm. as well. Um, And their lifestyle was starting to become a little bit too visibly flashy for everybody. So they knew if they held an election, they would lose. Chances were, yes. And so if he just called martial law, then he could just start writing the rules for himself. As soon as martial law was introduced, he shut down 14 of the country's 15 newspapers. So then there was only one media (gasps) outlet of which he had almost total control. All laws he could just pass immediately. He could write whatever laws he wanted and they would immediately take effect. Um, and of course, it made it really easy to just suppress all of his opponents. Oh my so God. they just really tightened their control of the country and they took away a lot of the democratic rights of the people who lived there. And it gave them a lot more control over the money as well. Don't you think Trump would do this if he could? That's what's really scary. Mm-hmm. There's actually um, some photos of Imelda with Trump. And who is his first wife? Ivanka? No, not Ivana. Ivana. Marla Maples. Marla Maples, yes. She was was good friends with him. That was his second wife. Mm -hmm. He's very Imeldific, so that makes sense. Okay, all right. So he just declared martial law and just started doing what he wanted. Yeah, exactly. And... um, he took advantage of the opportunity for flagrant nepotism and he appointed Melda mm-hmm. Melda as the governor of Manila and the minister for human settlements. <laughs> so she got control over some pretty huge budgets in her own sort of legal inverted right. commas right. Did the people um, try and fight back or did they just kill anyone who tried to protest against. They did try to fight back, but in the eight years of yeah. martial law in the Philippines, more than 70,000 people were incarcerated for trying to fight back <gasps> and 35,000 oh people God. were tortured 
and <gasps> more than 3,000 people, almost 3,500 people actually were killed. And in a lot of cases, their bodies would just be dumped in the streets as warnings to other people of oh, this is what happens if you goodness. cause trouble. Um, and a lot of those people were journalists or they were teachers who spoke out in some public way against either Ferdinand yeah. or Imelda Marcos. So they really did. Like tried to teach in their classrooms yeah. what was actually happening. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Holy shivers. So that was a big part of how they were able to get away with this, especially for that particular eight-year period because it was almost impossible to um, deny them what they decided they were entitled to. Um, and then yeah. as for where the money was coming from, you're going to love this. So Imelda, she had this reputation as being possibly the world's best spender, um, but politics doesn't actually pay all that much and Ferdinand's official salary as president was $13,500 a year, which doesn't sound like mm-hmm. very much, but you've got to keep in mind that most Filipinos at this time were living off $2 a day, which means they were making less than $800 a year. But still, $13,500 isn't $6 billion, Correct. So. It's not private jet money. It's not Picasso <laughs> yes. money. So. To this day, the family deny that they stole anything from the government. Um, They say we did not use the federal government as our own personal bank account. We were using the treasure trove that Ferdinand discovered when he found Yamashita's gold, which is this sort of mythical stash of treasure that is supposed to have been hidden by a Japanese general somewhere in the Philippines at the end of World War II. So Ferdinand claimed that he found this treasure and that that is his source of wealth. That's where their billions of dollars came from. The fact that he found this loot that had been taken out of Japan at the end of World War II and find his keepers. He gets to keep that. And to back this story up, this is fantastic. (laughs) This is in, um, do you know Ruby Wax? Yes. yes. So Ruby Wax did um, a special where it was Ruby Wax meets Imelda Marcos. And this was at some point mm. in the 90s, obviously, when Ruby was big. And there's this fantastic scene where Imelda is explaining the time that she found out about Yamashita's gold and how that was where Ferdinand had got all of his money from. And she found out because she just unwittingly started knocking down a wall in their house because she wanted a little bit more space. And as she was knocking down the wall, (laughs) she came to realise that the walls were made of gold bricks that had been coated in lead to disguise them. And she asked Ferdinand (laughs) about how it could possibly be so that their house was made out of gold bricks. And that's when he Mm. finally confided in her that all of their money had been coming from the Yamashita treasure that he had discovered that day. It is bliss to watch. Of course, of course. you need to find that so that you can experience that. Okay. (laughs) Um, But obviously that's a lie. And they had been siphoning money out of the country's coffers for years. Oh, no, really? Um, So this is just an example, and there would be so many ways that they were doing this. But um, one example was a contractor came forward and he said, look, typically if we were um, being asked to build a new highway, then we would pour the concrete so it would be six to eight inches thick. Um, Mm -hmm. But under the Marcos regime, they would tell us, just go ahead and pour it about two inches thick and then they would just keep the money that they didn't spend on concrete. That would be the money that they would... So they didn't just reach in and take money. They actually tried to, like, cook the books Mm -hmm. a bit. Yes, yeah, okay. which is why it's been so hard mm. for them to figure out exactly how much they've stolen. That's why they're yeah. said it's somewhere between $5 billion and $10 billion. Like that's a big margin there. Mm. That's double. But they yeah. just haven't been able to figure out exactly how much money they stole along the way. Mm. Wow. Yes, so... They came up with this ridiculous story for where all their money was coming from (laughs) and they just made sure they maintained control as closely as they possibly could so that anyone who protested the way that they were spending their money was just shut down. Yeah. 
All right. So now we're going to meet one of the men who Imelda dated really briefly before she married Ferdinand. His name is mm-hmm. Benigno. They just called him Ninoy Aquino. Um, and they only dated mm-hmm. very briefly just after college. And he had been quite outspoken against the Marcuses when he was running for office. And he was actually quite successful as someone who was going to be like a pretty significant opponent to Ferdinand. And he'd said some pretty strong things about Imelda and her spending and about Ferdinand and about the way that the government had been running before martial law was introduced yeah. in 1972. So in a way, he was probably one of the people that was sort of um, a reason why martial law was introduced because it looked like his popularity, which was gaining significantly, was going to be a real threat to the Marcuses. Mm, um, so they sent yeah. him to prison pretty early on in martial law in 1973 for subversion. Um, He'd been calling for these really major reforms to be made and so he was framed for conspiring against the government. They just showed up in the middle of the night, ripped him out of bed and chucked him in jail. And he'd Mm -hmm. been in jail for seven years and seven months when one day he was out in the exercise yard and he got these really bad chest pains. And so they sent him to a hospital and he was diagnosed with a heart problem and he'd had this relationship with Imelda. So she came to visit him in secret and she said, I will help save your life. I will send you to New York City and get you the best treatment in the world to help fix your heart problem as long as you agree to come back to Manila as soon as you're well enough and go back into jail. And he said, yes, of course. (laughs) I'll do exactly that. Um, And so she just assumed that he was going to be loyal to her because of the past that they had and that he would honour their agreement. And also because by that point she'd so in her crazy bubble that she would assume Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, And so, of course, once he was well enough in the US, he decided, well, I'm just going to stay here where I don't have to be in jail. And so he stayed there for about three years just saying to everyone, look, a pact Mm. made with the devil is no pact at all. Just because I told her I was going to go back doesn't mean I'm actually going to go back. But then, flash forward, 1983, martial law has been lifted for almost two years. The Marcuses are still in power. The poverty in the country is about three times as bad as it was when the Marcuses took over. Ferdinand's become Mm. very, very ill. He's suffering from lupus. He's also had a kidney transplant and his body's rejecting it. And so he's effectively just unconscious most of the time. So Imelda's in charge of everything. She's running the country with the support of a guy called General Ver. And Aquino is getting inundated from requests for him to please, please, please return to the Philippines, run for office again. You need to come and rescue us. Um, He knows that if he returns, he could be put in jail the second he gets back. Um, He could be killed the second he gets back, but he decides he's just going to take the risk because it's the right thing to do for his people, for his family, for his loved ones. So he flies back to the Philippines. He lands in Manila and within seconds of him exiting the plane, he is shot dead. (sighs) And, of course, there's outrage across the country because he was going to be the the chosen one who was going yeah. to help to rescue them because things had become very, very dark there at this time. Um, Imelda was found innocent of a fact by a fact-finding committee that sought to determine whether she was involved in the assassination. Um, even though she was effectively acquitted of it, many people still believe to this day that um, she took Aquino out because he was her only of political she rival. Did. Yeah, a doy. And the fact-finding group would have been appointed by the government. Yes, correct. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So loads of people are protesting in the streets and his death really did spark the movement that would eventually become a revolution. And the leader of Mm -hmm. that revolution was Aquino's wife. So her name was Corazon. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Yes, you're going to love her. Um, Corazon or Corey decides to run for the presidency in her husband's place. And she was the absolute antithesis of Imelda. She wore very, very simple clothing. She wore no jewellery. She wore no makeup. There was absolutely no glamour about her whatsoever. And she had no political experience, which she totally acknowledged um, that she was 
by no means a seasoned politician, but this is a quote of hers. She said, yes, I have no experience in politics. I also have no experience in cheating, stealing, lying, or assassinating political opponents. So (laughs) (laughs) she was whip smart and she was very, very popular with all of Aquino's supporters. And so she became a really, really massive threat to Imelda and Ferdinand. Um, and she knew that with the election coming up, the Marcuses were going to try to steal the election. They were going to use fraud yeah. to try to win. And she was absolutely right. Camera Cruz found um, Marcus loyalists buying people's votes with food and found them driving <sighs> supporters around to different rallies and to different polling stations. Um, and they were doing everything that they could to try to coerce people into voting for Marcos. At the main hub where they were like tallying up the votes, people knew that there was something fishy going on because there were so many votes coming through for Ferdinand Marcos. Um, And so many of the Mm. people who were there to tally the votes just stormed out because they knew that they were counting fake votes. Um, But the fraud sort of worked and Marcos went ahead and claimed the victory for himself and he held an inauguration ceremony and, of course, Imelda sang a little (laughs) number. This is on the 25th of February in 1986. Um, But then by the next day, the protests had reached such a point that they realised that they just needed to admit defeat and so Ferdinand um, just decided that he was going to hand over the presidency to Cory Aquino and they fled the country. So in the dead of night, at midnight, the family boarded a plane. There were 80 of them and they got on a plane to Hawaii. Um, Imelda claims to this day that they were kidnapped, that she had no idea they were leaving the country. She thought they were just going to another area of the Philippines so she feels like she was sort of hoodwinked into leaving the country. Right. Once they were gone, people stormed the palace and raided it, similar to what they did with Hitler's <gasps> bunker. We'll get to them, yes. <laughs> and for the next few weeks, the poorest people in the country were invited to come and visit this grand opulent palace and see how all this extravagant wealth had been splashed around and how their money had been illegally spent. Oh, wow. And a lot of the people who came and visited, they lived in houses that were smaller than Imelda's bed and they got to come in <gasps> and just behold this incredible decadent palace that had been built with money that had been stolen from them. That's smart, showing it to the people like that. So when they fled, did um, Corey become the Mm -hmm. president? That guy's wife? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then after her, her son became the president. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So Imelda and the family landed in Hawaii with lots of cash and lots of jewels and these gold bricks that were inscribed with the words to my husband on our 24th anniversary. So they definitely didn't show up (laughs) empty-handed and I think that's pretty good evidence that she knew that they were not just going to another area of the Philippines, they were leaving the country. And also that she knew the gold bricks weren't buried treasure because she had them inscribed. (laughs) So (laughs) busted. And famously as well, there was loads and loads of jewellery that had been stashed into a box of diapers, pampers for Imelda's grandson um, that they tried to just sort of sneak through without declaring. Yeah. They did get to keep them, but, um, yeah, they just tried to sort of. They were just trying to sneak all their stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. What really made the global headlines, though, were the things that they left behind. So when they got into the palace, they found more than a 1,000 gowns 1,500 handbags, dozens of mink coats, and 2,600 pairs of shoes. Now, the shoes, this is where you hear really daring reports because I've read one thing that said more than 6,000 pairs of shoes. Usually people say she had 3,000 pairs of shoes and Melda herself Mm -hmm. said that, no, I only had 1,600 pairs of shoes. Um, But Mm. the number that I've seen most frequently is 2,600 that she'd left behind. And Imelda defends mm. the choice of buying all these shoes by saying that she was just trying to promote the Philippine shoe industry. However, <laughs> almost all of the shoes were made in France or Italy. Right. <laughs> 
They also found a custom-made bulletproof bra, which Imelda constantly denies that she ever wore because it would have made her look fat. Mm. Mm. Can't have that. Um, All of the artworks in all of their properties were just very quickly um, put into storage. So in their New York properties in particular is where they had some of their really, really valuable masterpieces. Um, And so trucks just showed up at the homes there and just quickly took everything out of there and replaced it with family photographs and put it into some (laughs) secret storage (laughs) locations um, so just pulled out a Picasso out of a frame and chucked in a photo of Imelda. Yes, and put a pin <laughs> in that because I need to circle back to that at the end as well. Okay. So the family stays in the USA for the next five years. In that time, Imelda was tried and then acquitted for racketeering in the US because she had some sort of dodgy uh-huh. business practices going on there. Ferdinand died in 1989 and after his death, his loyalists were crying out for his body and for his family to be returned to the Philippines. And Corey said, all right, Imelda can come back, the family can come back, but Ferdinand's body is never to return to the Philippines. And Mm. so then shortly after that, once Imelda had been acquitted of the um, charges that she was facing in the US, she finally returned to Manila. And when you see the footage of this, it's absolutely crazy because she is mobbed by a huge number of these people who are just such adoring fans. Still love them. Masses of them. And to this day, there are still so many people who are total Imelda diehards. Um, As soon as she arrived, she was taken to a police station to be fingerprinted and charged with more than 70 accounts of fraud and corruption. Yeah. So that was 1991. The prosecutors only wrapped up the cases against her in 2015. And then (laughs) a judgment wasn't actually made until 2018. She was found guilty of some, but not all of those 70 accounts. She's still waiting for sentencing. Yeah, because I was going to say, so did she go to prison, but she's still waiting? She still has not received the sentence. So, And so in back in the Philippines, do her and her family live, do they have money mm-hmm. still? Like, oh, yeah. Isn't the government demanding give us the money back? Yes. So here's what happened when she got back. She got back in 1991. 1992, yeah. she had the goal to run for president. And she came third last. So there were seven candidates and she came fifth. Um, Then in 1995, um, she was actually successfully elected as a congresswoman. This is in her hometown of Leyte um, where her family had always been really prominent. So that's where a lot of her supporters are based. So that was actually a really easy win for her. So she entered Congress in 1995. 98, she ran for president again. This time she came second last, coming ninth out of 11. (laughs) Um, Since then, she's decided that she's going to redirect her efforts and just campaign furiously for her son, Ferdinand Jr., who's nickname is Bong Bong, to be elected as president eventually. But first off, she's been trying to get him elected as vice president. She has stayed in Congress as a member of the lower house all the way up until 2018 when she was finally found guilty for some of those charges against her. Um, So she's been stood down from politics finally, but um, her daughter, Imi, is a senator and her son is, I think, a governor at this point. Um, So she's still got tentacles in the government there and it's highly, highly unlikely that she's ever actually going to go to jail. Um, The current president in the Philippines, his name is Duterte. His regime, by the way, has... They killed 30,000 people in the first four months of his presidency. Wasn't he the one who said if you ever take any drug, it's an immediate death sentence. So people smoking a joint just got hung. Like They don't even have to have evidence that you were smoking a joint. They can just have suspicion Mm -hmm. that you were smoking a joint. So, yes, he's um, got a particular style about him. Um, He was the son of a former cabinet member of Ferdinand Marcos and he's always been a big, big supporter (gasps) of the Marcos family and he... um, 
changed the ruling that Corey Aquino had made about Ferdinand's body and he allowed Ferdinand to be returned to Manila and buried in the Heroes Cemetery there. Um, and he has publicly said as well that if Bong Bong Marcos is his vice president, he's just going to resign as president so that then Bong Bong can take over as the president because he believes Stop that a Marcos it. should be leading the Philippines. <gasps> oh, my so God, what? Highly unlikely that she's ever actually going to get jail time. Also, she still does have a huge amount of money that she's got access to. Well, her best friend is the president. Yeah, correct. And they donated a lot of money to his campaign to get him elected as well because they knew that he was going to be oh, a huge supporter of the family. Of course. Yes. Yes. Now, um, as to her money and why does she still have access to her money? So, Corey Aquino had set up this organization called the Presidential Commission on Good Government. Um, and that mm-hmm. was really just solely designed to get back the stolen wealth, the ill gotten wealth that the Marcuses had accumulated. Yeah. They did successfully manage to get back about. billion of the money that had been stolen from the Philippines. But now that... But was that... Was that just from selling stuff they found in the palace and like partially, yes, all that Auctioning kind of thing, off yeah. jewels and stuff that they'd been able to get back, um, reclaiming yeah. some of the um, properties that they had purchased as but well. But it's not like it was. It's not like it was money that the Marcoses handed over willingly. That's right. Yeah, and some of it they'll never, ever see. Like, for example, there was a property in Hollywood that Imelda bought for herself, but she put it in, you know, the actor George Hamilton? Yeah, she Mm -hmm. put it in his name because he was a good friend of the Marcuses. Um, (laughs) And so then, of course, George Hamilton just kept the property when the Marcuses fled the Philippines because what are they going to do to get it back? It's in his name. It's his property. So that's just one example of something he's got a nice big house I would too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it's looking less and less likely that they're actually going to get any more of the money back Um, and she still does have all of these bank accounts that are... Well, allegedly she has these bank accounts that are just in different pseudonyms that she's got access to all around the world. They haven't been able to find them all and they haven't been able to freeze them all. And she continues to... And they have a president in charge of the country who is renowned for being a murderous psychopath Mm -hmm. who is on their side and is looking for any excuse to hand leadership of the country over to their family. Correct. How is this real in 2020? Now, you need to watch the movie The Kingmaker. It's a documentary okay. and it's phenomenally well made. It's on Stan and yeah. um, this was the first thing that I watched that started me going down this rabbit mm-hmm. hole on Imelda um, because this sort of brings you up to almost 2018 with where the family's at. Yeah, And one of the things that's in there that's really fascinating is in the early parts of the movie, she's doing her interviews in front of the Picasso and the Michelangelo and she's showing off all the artworks that she's got Um, and she tells the story of how when they had to leave the palace, their maids and their servants who were so incredibly loyal to them were the ones who just took the precious artworks home to their own houses to carefully look after them (laughs) until the day came when Imelda could (laughs) return to the Philippines and they could give them back to her. Naturally, naturally. So those artworks are on her walls and then halfway through the documentary, they've been switched out once again with the family photos because they've had to put the artworks into hiding because she was once again being investigated to see whether she had any assets that she needed to return. So just brazenly replace them. Did the filmmaker ask her about it? Watch it and you'll see. what happened to the Picasso behind you? Oh, my God, Mm -hmm. I want to watch it. You'll see. It's really good. And just to wrap it all up... Where did the shoes end up? Well, I know that 800 pairs are in a museum in Manila. Um, A number of them have ended up just being put into storage and sadly a lot of them just ended up being moth-eaten. 
and she did get a number of them back, which you do see in the Ruby Wax documentary as well, which is definitely oh. worth a watch. Um, so that is the story. Is Shoes Glorious Shoes? Of Melba and her shoes. Oh my goodness. And you can imagine how many hours and days I spent reading about this woman and I still feel like I've barely even scratched the surface. It's just such an incredible saga. Questions. That was good, Comments. God, I feel like I need to lie down. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess my comment is I honestly just thought whenever I hear her name, I was just like, oh, she was in charge of some country and she had a lot of mm-hmm. shoes. And now I feel like I'm going to sound really smart telling someone <laughs> about what I know about this because you inadvertently learn a lot about like the politics of the Philippines yeah. <laughs> while you're learning about this nutso lady. How old is she now? Old. Oh, good point. So she turned 90 last year and funnily enough, she oh had 2,000 people at her birthday party, 200 of whom got really, really bad food poisoning and were hospitalised. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she's turned 90 this year in July. She'll be 91. It's just so unlikely wow. that she's ever going to see the inside of the jail cell. Um, no, she won't. And you're right. She does continue to go out and just hand out money to the poor there. And that's the thing that's really messed yeah. up about the country over there because the poor just rely so much on the support of the wealthy, which then makes them so Mm. easy for the wealthy to manipulate them. And that's why she then has these people who are such ardent supporters of hers because they think that she's doing the best that she can possibly do for them when in actual fact she's just exploiting them and she always has been. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Um, One of the benefits of... um, well, one of the lessons that they learned from the Marcos regime, presidents can now only have one term. They can do one six-year term and then that's it, like in the US right. where they can do two four-year terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what's going to happen when that murderous psycho, well, that's, will her son take over? Well, 2022 is when the next elections happen, but until then wow. there is actually this really kick-ass female vice president um, who I could do a just the gist on her at some point. Um, She almost went to jail. They nearly jailed her for 12 years, again, for subversion because she was speaking out against the president, but she's just got balls of steel and she's like, someone has to say it and I'm going to be the one to say it because if it's not me, who is it going to be? So in 2022, it'll probably either be her or Bong Bong. But a lot of people believe that Duterte is just going to do everything that he can to make sure that Bong Bong is vice president and then he'll just hand straight over to him. Oh, my God, I'm really interested in this now. Yeah, it's nuts. So go and watch The Kingmaker on Stan and um, look up Ruby Wax meets Imelda Marcos and then there's just so many other different documentaries. That's the fascinating thing. She's got such a huge ego she is willing to talk to anyone. Oh, She's that's just amazing. so desperate for <laughs> attention and validation and yeah. the sense of feeling relevant that she will talk to anyone with a camera. Oh, heaven. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will. I'm going to go watch it. Jacob, that was so good. <gasps> I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks, Dal. That was just the gist. I'm proud of you and also grateful that I got to just relax during that one. <laughs> I'm going to get you to do this again. I'm going to do another one next week. Yay. Okay, good. All right. Well, love Love you. you Hopefully, you know, under his eye, Godspeed. (laughs) Good luck to us all. If everyone's still alive, then we'll see you here next week. Yeah, I should have learned to say goodbye in Tagalog. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Uh Bye. Love you. Listener.